Well, this morning we are uh, in Mark, we're in chapter 9, so we're moving along. Uh, if you would please turn in your Bibles. Um, this is a, a great, amazing story of the transfiguration. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 2, uh, going through verse 13. Please listen as I read. This is the Word of God. It's good for our encouragement. It's good for for us to be re-corrected in what we think. It leads us to repentance. It points us to uh, who God is. And it it also answers the question, who who are we and what is God who created us? What is He requiring of us? So Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And the cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes, or why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. As we look at this passage, it's really important for us to remember that this amazing event comes right after Jesus explains what does it mean to be a disciple. And He says, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. So He has that discussion with His disciples. And then He has Peter, James, and John. And they're shown this amazing transfiguration. Something unearthly that shocks them and places them in awe. So in this passage, we'll look at the glory of Jesus, the proper response to Jesus' glory, and the promised future. But right before we get to that, it's, I think it's important for us to remember that we all, uh, we all live a life, and we all have a past, we all have a present, And we all think something in the future. Uh, Some of you, in your past, you live your present and future just trying to prove your past wrong. 
That's all you want to do is live up to a standard that you feel like you completely failed in your past. Or you might be someone who is just stuck in their past. They are, you are ever reminded of it. You are never escaping. Every day you wake up and all you think you are is the person of your past. Or there are those who think of their past and they think those are the glory days. All I want to do is live those over again. But no matter who you are, your past does have an influence on your present. But as we look at this passage, I want you to see that what has a greater influence on your present is actually your future. And your future dictates how you will then see your past and understand it. So what is your future? Jesus has explained the present, what it means to be a disciple, and the near future of His disciples. And in in this passage, we have a glimpse into the future, the coming of Christ again. We just have a little glimpse of it. So in this passage, we'll look at the glory of Jesus. Uh, We have this event which really we don't have a category for. Well, we do because we have movies with amazing uh, visual effects that you could see this being played out in your mind of what this might look like. Uh, These three disciples looked on and were amazed by the whiteness and the purity of Jesus as Elijah and Moses are next to him and they're talking. Why? Moses and Elijah. Of all people in the Bible to have this meeting up in the clouds, uh, why those two? Well, Moses is very significant in the Old Testament. He's the great hero of the Old Testament, some might say. He is the, the man who led the, the first exodus and saved God's people from Pharaoh under the hand of God. The event on Mount Sinai, Sinai where he got the Ten Commandments. He received those being in the presence of God and Moses' face glowed. And there's Elijah who is the key figure in the Old Testament, the prophet of, of one who is restoring all things. So we see this passage and we see Moses the great leader who led the first exodus. And we have Elijah the proclaimer of things will be restored. And then we see this meeting with Jesus who is actually the greater of those two things. Jesus leads the great and final exodus and gives people freedom. And He is the one who comes to restore all things. But the great differences. Jesus is more glorious and significant than Elijah and Moses. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Both Elijah and Moses, they can testify to Jesus and His character of who Jesus really is. And Jesus brings the promise of the second and greater exodus to restore all things. And as Christians... That is what our hope is in. 
that this historical book, the Bible, is true and how it explains who Jesus is is accurate. And we see that is what our hope is in, that Jesus comes to restore. Peter, uh, not understanding what is happening and always ready to say things, he says, let me build a tent. I'll build three of them. Because all three of you are glorious, I can't tell any difference. Which is really amazing because of what, how Jesus has walked with Peter. Peter stands there and thinks, you're all three glorious. You all three need a tent or a tabernacle. It's amazing there are three. And then it comes to a point where it's only Jesus. And I wonder if Peter realizes yeah, that's right. I guess if Jesus really is the Messiah, then Moses and Elijah would just be people that would point to the Messiah and not be as significant as the Messiah. So he is ready to make three tents, but really there's only one that is needed. This idea of the tent or the tabernacle is some kind of mediation. We have some heavenly event that's taking place on this mountain. Peter says, let's build a tent or a tabernacle where those things can come together. There can be a mediation of heavenly things and earthly things. What we need to remember is that as we think of those two dynamics, heavenly things, perfect things, God and His character, eternal things, and earthly things, where we are, where we live, the things we touch. Uh, there's something that links them together. Which really leads us to these two questions. Uh, and the one question is, is there a God? Is there something that is beyond what you and I can see and feel and touch and smell? Is there something beyond that? And the next question then would be, if there is a God, then how do we relate to that God? There's a story about Helen Keller. Uh, many of you know who she is. She was lived in the 1800s. She was born uh, blind and deaf. And she had a teacher who was with her all the time and taught her sign language and taught her. And she was finally able to speak and make noises. And the teacher, who was a Christian, thought it's probably time that Helen Keller should learn about God. So her teacher called in Phillips Brooks, who was a very popular evangelist during that day. And he came in and he told Helen Keller, through this interpreter, uh, about the Bible, about God, about Jesus. And Helen Keller's response was, I always knew there was a God. I just didn't know His name. Hear this woman. And this is all of us. This is humanity. We all have a sense that there's something beyond us. That this is not all there is in this world. Something has to be beyond us. Otherwise, things don't make sense. And then we enter the question, how do we relate to this God? And even as we think about that question, we usually fall into two traps. One, we view God that is really not that far from us. 
We create a being in our mind that is greater and there's more goodness in this being and more faithfulness and mercy and justice. But this God that we've created is really not that far from us. If we just try really hard, we can mediate ourselves between us and this God. We can commune with this God and everything's okay. Or we fall into the other trap of saying that God is so good and gracious. He is so beyond us. There's no possible way that we can relate to this divine, perfect being. So then we live our lives completely separate from any sense of goodness that is beyond us. Well, and that's where the striking difference of the Christian faith comes in. Because God is so beyond us that we can do nothing by our trying to be good and moral and right to try to grasp anything of Him because He is so far from us. But the great God explained in the Bible is triune. There's a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. One God. And so what we have is we have Jesus being this perfect mediator. Jesus, who is the eternal Son of God, has always existed becomes a mediator between us as creation and God as creator. So we have this we have this tent of meeting that we can meet the God who made us. Which is really an astounding thing. And we only meet this God through a mediator. And the Bible explains that mediator is Jesus. And that's why His life is so significant. The Christian Trinity, the Trinity explained in the Bible, solves this problem. Because we can see that God is ultimately glorious. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He is beyond what we can comprehend Yet, we can relate to Him only because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is the glorious One, and His glory is in His perfection and in His work of mediation, of coming between these two completely opposite things. Perfection and you and me. So what is our proper response to Jesus' glory? Now, what Peter wanted to do was he saw something glorious and he wanted to uh, work and serve to help make mediation possible, to ma- maybe make this amazing experience of this transfiguration last longer, to enjoy this. Verse 7 says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Moses is gone. Elijah is gone. No one but Jesus. is the only one that is left. Because really, it is the only one who can affect something. 
Moses, as God uses him in the Old Testament, is a great, well, not really a great man, but he was a great teacher in some aspects and leader as he led God's people. And we, we very clearly see his failings. But he did not accomplish anything for God's people. Elijah, the same thing, is a great prophet of the coming day of the Lord. God will, recome, God will come and restore. But Elijah could not restore anything. So we have these things, both of them meet in Jesus, who affects change. Who is actually the mediator. And the great thing about that is it's not us pursuing Jesus as fast as we can so we can understand what this means. It is Jesus was sent to be the mediator. So the glory of Jesus is seen that He pursues you. And He pursues me because He knows how weak we are. And He knows left to ourselves, we will waste all of our time building tents to hold on to some existential experience and think, that's what it is. That is what I'm going to build my life on. But the reality is, it is only Jesus pursuing you. Both of those two men, Moses and Elijah, lack effectiveness. So God speaks, God the Father speaks in this voice out of the clouds, this is my beloved Son. And then He makes a statement and He says, listen to Him. Which, think about what's going on. There's this amazing visual of Jesus in His glory and radiance, and God does not say, look at Him. He doesn't say, sear this in your memory. He says, listen. And for us, 2,000 years later, I think that is so significant because we are still given the same command. Listen. Because if it was only this vision, we would all strive for more visions. But the command is, this is my beloved Son. Listen. So how do we hear? We have God's Word in front of us. How does God speak to us? Through His Word. Do you want to understand this world? Read the Bible. Do you want to understand people? Read the Bible. Do you want to understand your children? Read the Bible. Our, our, our tendency is, at least mine, is to say, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible for uh, theological concepts. But then when it comes to how to solve problems or relationship issues, I'm going to go to some other book who's going to give me some really practical things to do. Instead of understanding those are all in the Bible. The book of Proverbs is full of those. So if you want to understand who God is, read the Bible. You want to understand what life is about, read your Bible. And I'm not telling you that to force some kind of legalism on you that you have to read the Bible so much every day because you don't. But I want you 
I want myself to read the Bible. I want you to read the Bible. Because this life is so mysterious to me, it doesn't make sense. And I'm really quick to create some other categories to make this world make sense. Instead of seeing it is laid out in God's Word. So what does God affirm by this comment of Jesus? He affirms that Jesus is His beloved Son. This is very close to what is said at the baptism of Jesus. In chapter 1 of of Mark, He says, You are my beloved Son. With, With you I am well pleased. And God the Father also affirms that what Jesus says is vital. So Jesus in His speech, which is what we have in the Bible. We have the Word of God. This is what we need to understand. This is what we need to pursue, to read, and to ask each other questions. What does this mean? Instead of searching for some amazing experience or vision that we think is what we want, but in the reality will just lead us to other things and will very clearly lead us away from reading the Bible. So when the cloud lifted, Moses and Elijah were gone. Jesus Himself alone, the new tabernacle of divine glory, His words and deeds are greater than all past revelation. Peter and James and John were alone in the presence of Jesus and they needed no one else. They needed nothing else. Jesus has no rival. Jesus alone is the one who justifies. Jesus alone is the one who sanctifies. Jesus alone is the one who mediates. Jesus alone is the one who who was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. No one else is. Moses is not. Elijah is not. No one else is. So when we understand the glory of Jesus, we understand our response, then what do we do then as we look at our future? Verse 9 says, And they were coming down the mountain, and he charged them to tell no one what they had seen. Now think about Peter. Do you think he could actually do this? Peter's given the command, don't tell anybody. I don't think he would be able to do that. Uh, But he says, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So here you have three disciples, and in this command, they're not allowed to tell the other nine disciples of what just happened until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is why in the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus is something we can never give up. Because our faith makes no sense without it. Just like it made no sense to Peter, James, and John. And Jesus knew that. And that's why He said, don't tell anybody until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Because once that happens, you will be able to look back on your past and all things will make sense. Only when the suffering and death 
and resurrection of Jesus had taken place, will all of these events make sense? It says here that, verse 10, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean, this resurrection, which was a common thing in the first century. They, uh, they, it wasn't common that people were resurrected, but people understood what this term meant. It wasn't that these men were foolish and say, raising from the dead, that I don't know what that means. But in their mind, it was, it doesn't make any sense in light of Jesus being the Messiah. What will that do? The resurrection is the great turning point that we look back to and also that we look forward with. This is the great resurrection that as we look forward in our life, from today forward, it impacts who we are. And it also allows us to look back at our past and for it to make sense. Our past is guilt-ridden without seeing it in the light of the resurrection. Uh, You will keep yourself up at night uh, with regret and dread without understanding the resurrection of Jesus. Our present is insignificant without the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then what I do today does not matter. One bit. And our future is hopeless without the resurrection. This is why uh, the Christian faith is so significant and outweighs any other faith is that we have a God who is perfectly holy and we have Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who walked among us and suffered and died and rose again and accomplished something that we could never accomplish. And so when you think about your past, you need to think about your past with the resurrection in mind. Because when Christ sets you free from your sin and the guilt and condemnation of your sin, He sets you free from all of it. Our problem is we don't believe it. We've created categories. Well, I know that these sins can be forgiven because this is just common humanity. But then there are these down here which are so grand, they are untouchable. Well, all sin, we can't do anything about it. But because Jesus lived a perfect life and died on the cross and set you free, your past is free. And what that means is, now you, if you trust in Christ, you are in a place to be honest about your past. And so you can see Jesus, how He has transformed that. He makes our present significant. He makes everything we do in our day significant because there's something greater than just getting through this day. And He sets our hope of something even greater in the future. That Christ will return. And in that returning, He makes all things new. So looking at anything in your life without understanding the resurrection and the return of Christ 
does not make any sense. So how do we understand the resurrection and the work of Christ in the future as He returns? How do we understand that more? It's by reading His Word and figuring out what is God explaining to us about who He is and what Jesus has done and who we are as His people. So understanding this more, looking to the future, knowing that Christ has risen again, we can hold on to His promises. Like in John 10, My sheep hear My voice. I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. So what Jesus accomplished in His perfect life and resurrection is that we have the ability to hear. We have the ability to follow. And we have the ability to understand no one shall snatch us out of God's forever comforting, gracious, and abundantly loving hand. And it's not anything that you can do. That's the great message of salvation. And that's what the great message of the transfiguration points to, is there is something greater than you can presently understand. And that's also what this meal points to that's right before us. There's something greater than what we can... God is abundantly gracious. Uh, He is so gracious that He has sent... Jesus Christ to be the mediator because He understands who you are and He understands who I am. And so we greatly rejoice in Jesus, in His glory, in what He has done. So please hear the word of the Lord as we're sent out. And after that, I'll make a quick little announcement. Now now Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.